Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. The importance of diversity, inclusion and belonging has never been greater. And I was delighted to welcome Kit Krugman as my guest on this episode of the Startups Roundtable. Kit is the Head of Organisation and Culture Design at Co-Collective where she works with organisations to turn belief into behaviour, to build more inclusive and innovative cultures, and this extends to her role and personal mission as the Global Executive Director at Women in Innovation. So without wasting any more time, let's meet Kit. Thank you, Tony. So pleased to be here. Um, yeah, I focus on, I have two roles in my life. Um, one is that I'm the Head of Organisation and Culture Design at Co-Collective, which is a strategic and creative transformation organization that that supports clients in kind of making transformations, whether that's external transformations with product, service, or experience, or internal transformations with culture. And then the my other role, and a role that's really close to my heart, is that I'm the acting executive director of an organization called Women in Innovation, called WIN for short. And we are located in, um, we're global now, as all, everyone is in this virtual virtual paradigm, but We are based in New York, San Francisco, and London, and have a community of women innovators who we support in learning and progressing, and our mission is to close the gender gap in innovation. It's a a topic, I must say, that as I reached out to ask you to be a guest on the podcast that really caught my attention, there are a lot of things that go on in your life, and you must be the, the champion of time management, but it's the women in innovation area that I'd like to start with. And it seems such a, an amazing initiative and the global reach and the, the actual group of people and the momentum that comes from people just wanting to do it. It's not part of their job. It's not part of their, their nine to five, if I could put it that way. And as I, I look at the startups that I'm speaking with and I think about that that's as much a start from an idea and take the big step as anything that I've looked at. Could you take me to that moment where women in innovation went from an idea to becoming a structure and a form and and share some of the experiences there? So to respond to a couple of things you said, one, um, being the master of time management, I am absolutely not. And if anyone has tips on that, I would welcome them. (laughs) And it, it ties very closely into managing a volunteer organization which is we have an entire organization of super talented and powerful women who are dedicating their time and energy. And what I realized after kind of working with the organization for almost four years is that there's a great irony in that in and of itself. And the great irony is that women are giving their time and energy to the cause of gender equity in the workforce. And yet it's draining their time and energy and resources. And so this has been a topic of conversation for us as a community around how we make sure that we're not drawing down on the very resource we support. So that doesn't answer your question, but it's all very interrelated, um, how we think about time management and and managing volunteers. And so to move to your question about that moment of of kind of inception, I actually joined the organization when when it was about three months old. And so the the two co-founders, Althea and Maria, worked at Fahrenheit 212, which is a um, innovation consulting agency based in New York. And they kind of looked around and 
looked up and looked down and looked in all directions. And they saw they did not see themselves reflected in the leadership and asked themselves, I wonder if this is going on across other kind of innovation consultancies, um, innovation teams, or whether it's just here. And so they reached out to a couple of friends over at IDEO, at SY Partners, at Frog, um, at Smart Design, some of these leading kind of design firms, and asked them to come to, to the table and say, are you experiencing the same thing? Are women leading innovation efforts? Are they adequately represented at the tables where we are designing our future? And Unanimously, the answer was not well enough. Um, and those women who were leading were one and not, you know, were kind of solo and, and isolated and alone. And so that was sort of the, the, the birth of WIN. And from there, that, that moment of bringing people from competitive companies together really became embedded in the DNA of WIN, which is to reach out across boundaries and work together with other women to kind of all further the cause. So, Kit, as you describe that, I start to think about the other part of your life and around strategy and driving change and creativity. I expect that the women in innovation work draws on all of those elements. And when you think about it from a change program point of view, what are some of the the major hurdles right now that lay in front of you that by expressing them, people like myself could start to become part of, of breaking down those hurdles or helping to solve? That is such a great question, Tony, and, I, and I'm so grateful to you for asking it. I think the biggest thing that we need to recognize with, with any kind of inequity in any system is that it's a system. And I think it's really easy for us all to look at individuals in the system and to say it's you know their fault or your fault or my fault. Um, we all take a share of the blame, but we also need to think about systemic change. And no single change, uh, whether it's personal or whether it's organizational, ever happens without thinking about the entire ecosystem of what needs to support that change, what needs to drive that change, and the myriad of kind of complexities engaged in that. So I I think the, the best thing we can do is start to understand the pieces of the system and never look at one singular piece as unilaterally the, the thing that will either change or not change. The design of, of, if I could be as bold as say, the design of a solution, if there is a solution, it makes me think of a, a product that you can buy on the shelf in Australia. I'm guessing you can in the US as well. And Bayer actually has the, the Broca multivitamin tablet. I don't know if you've ever seen it. it. Very simple. You just drop it in a glass of water and it dissolves and, and you drink it. But what Bayer did was they actually took that tablet and they created a new product. They created what they call the Twist and Go, where they put the tablet into the cap underneath a thin sheet of foil and you open the cap and it drops the tablet into the water in the container. Nothing complex. And what they did, though, they were able to go and take on a whole new market. They all of a sudden moved from the vitamin market to the energy drink market and started to take share from the global leaders in energy drink. The thing about it is the tablet always existed, plastic containers always existed, water always existed, yet by bringing the elements that already exist together in a slightly different way, created absolutely true innovation. And and I I think that what I'm looking at as the problem as I understand it and you're describing it and the opportunity for people like myself to get involved, we don't necessarily need to create anything new. We just need to bring the elements that exist together now together in a slightly different way or a more sustained way, that would be a reasonable way to think about it. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I, I was recently giving a talk and someone asked me from the audience, should I build a group? Should I start something? And I said, first, ask what already exists. You know, we're, we're constantly, and I think this is a sort of entrepreneurship mentality too, which is um, build something new, build something fresh. If you're not the founder, if you, then, you know, you haven't done something worthy. Where I think that the real art of innovation to me is about taking existing resources and assets and using them in different ways and combining them and curating them and thinking about what leverage we can build. That has been the entire progress of, of um, human society, which is to build on those things that other people have invented in order to take us to the next level. How do you think about, uh, I want to call it swimming upstream, and that is you have the thousands of professionals around the globe all invested in women in innovation. How do you then move back through the undergraduate programs into the high school programs to start to drive that change at a deeper level? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, it's one we focus specifically on kind of mid-career women and helping them kind of um, make that last leap uh, to the leadership level. And the programs that we have right now for college level or kind of um, graduate school level are a fellowship. And we actually invite young women leaders to join our team and embed and act as a team member, which which affords them kind of exposure to the industry. And uh, we really, really deeply benefit from their expertise and learning. However, we haven't gone deeper than that yet. I mean, we have big dreams. We have big ambitions for the organization and what we can achieve as we've grown. Part of that and our, our primary focus right now is fundraising because it's interesting. We've really struggled with fundraising. We have no, we have no shortage of volunteers. We have no shortage of women in particular, and, and met some men as well, offering their time. But we have struggled to get financial commitments uh, to support our cause. And when you say uh, looking for the financial commitment, are you looking to build out a model that would cover the first three years? How far out do you look when you start to look for that funding in the first instance? Yeah. So, the, you know, we, we focus on really targeted efforts. Right now, we're in the process of hiring our first ever executive director full-time. And so our funding efforts have been specifically around how do we build the foundation of a team that is not volunteer for the first time to kind of solve this paradigm of women who are impacted by the gender inequity in the system kind of also laboring on its behalf. And, and so that's where the, the majority of our funding is going to go to in the beginning. Do I wish we could fund three years out? Absolutely. We are, we are trying our best and we'll, you know, we'll see it's a unique moment in the world right now. And it's one where I would argue gender equity and women's leadership is more important than ever. Yet a lot of the funding resources are not going towards kind of tip of the spear women in innovation necessarily, but I believe they should. Could you just speak a little bit to that? You just mentioned there about the change going on in the world right now and how that is playing out in your mind as you think about what you're trying to drive as a change and sustaining that change? Oh, such a, such a complicated topic and I'm so excited to talk about it. What's going on in the world right now is really devastating on so many levels, on a social level, um, and it's also a huge setback for gender equity and gender progress. One of the reasons that it's a huge setback is because, you know, for many working women, a lot of the um, support that enabled them to work has now been taken away, and there's a ton of data that unfortunately supports the, the fact that 
women as a result are taking on a disproportionate amount of the housework and childcare in a moment of kind of isolation and when you're you're having to care for your family in, in different ways. And as a result, um, because of the of the pay inequity in the system, couples who are both working, the women are having to um, quit their job before the man, the man would if you're trying to figure out like primary caregiver. So it, it's a setback for gender equity all up and for the progress that we've made. I, I am hoping I'm an optimist. I am hoping there's also a lot of um, silver lining in what's happening right now, more awareness of of some of these deep systemic inequities. And, and obviously we can go into some of the racial and social inequities as well, but we're, we're focused specifically on the gender inequity, but um, women of color are com- disproportionately impacted by COVID and also just dispro- disproportionately impacted economically. So we have some, you know, I think in, in moments like this, the system is laid bare. And, and my hope for it is that when the system is laid bare, we can, we can, we can see it more clearly and that more people will endeavor to change it. That is my the hopeful, hopeful side. I sign up to the aspiration and the inspiration that you bring. It also makes me think, just listening to you speak, this isn't an intellectual pursuit, it's an emotional pursuit. So as you come to find funding to, to have a full-time leadership driving the change, it's an amazing draw on whoever that person or that small team is to be able to stay leaning forward with that energy every day, because it's not just about execution, it's an emotional commitment. And it's obvious from the way you speak about it, that it's an emotional commitment to you. How do you maintain a, a high drive of, of emotional connectivity when that's arguably the most important thing in this, in this drive? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It is deeply emotional for me. Um, it's deeply personal. It, uh, it, it's also... I would say what maintains my energy and enthusiasm is the community that we work with. I feel so honored to work with these incredible women who have so much ambition. And specifically because we're working with women in innovation, it's all women who want to change the world in in some small way or some big way. And these are women who are willing to not only do their day job, but also extend beyond that to spend the hours in between um, and, you know, you, you raise your hands and you say, what hours, right? The hours in between everything else to contribute to this mission and contribute to shifting this paradigm. And we've been stunned by the momentum. We've been stunned by the growth. And in fact, we've had people from almost every major city in the world reach out to us to say, when can we start a chapter here? So, you know, we that's the next horizon for us, that global growth, that opening of chapters all over the world so that women can be connected to each other to continue to support, um, provide the resources, the learning, the progress together. A number of phrases that stuck with me when I was looking into your background before we, we met today, and one was courage over caution. And that, that landed very, very heavily in a positive way with me. And it, it felt like something that I haven't got a tattoo, but if I was going to get one, <laughs> I've got a feeling that might be the one. Because when I read it relating to what you're doing, it, it had a very special relevance to me. And I want to ask you about confidence in a moment, and I, I want to frame up my conversation. Some work I'd been doing with teammates of mine, we'd been looking at a couple of global companies that we're on the account teams of, and we tried to work out 
what it would mean for people returning to the workforce, regardless of gender, regard, truly from a diversity, inclusion and belonging perspective. And we thought, what happens if you're out of the workforce for a year and you turn up to a meeting? How fast are you productive? And, and how can you turn up and go from, let's just say for a number, you're 20% productive because you knew the role a year ago. But if your confidence was 10% higher, what does that mean to you personally? What does that mean to your employer? What does it mean to your customers? What does it mean to teammates? And I started to work out a model, and I'm not saying it's perfect science, but what's the business value of confidence? And when I saw you talk about courage over caution, it made me think about that. Could you take me a little bit deeper into the courage over caution as it plays out in your mind? Yeah. And, and, you know, courage over caution is something that I'm really inspired by Brene Brown and and her um, advocacy for daring leadership. And, and because it taps into vulnerability and speaking up and, and I know, you know, I consider myself a bold person. I consider myself brave. And I know there have been moments when I haven't spoken up when I should. And, and we all have those. And when I think about what it would take for me to go back and say the thing that I wanted to say, whether it was in defense of myself or defense of someone else um, who couldn't defend themselves or or wouldn't, I think I just needed a little more courage. I needed a, a little less fear of judgment or fear of exclusion. I think exclusion, you know, this is the reason belonging is so important with all kind of diversity, equity and inclusion work. The fear of exclusion is deeply rooted in the human psyche, in in who we are. And we face that. And if you are in the minority, you face that disproportionately. And when you fear exclusion, all of a sudden it becomes a lot harder to say the thing that might be provocative, the thing that might not sit well, um, because you face uh, whatever kind of repercussions. And those could be very serious from, you know, job security to to just social isolation and ostracization. So I think it's very important to remember that it is hard to speak up and to model and practice that courage when you feel yourself holding back and to also encourage that courage in others. What are some lessons or some some practices you've seen in in places where teams have been able to bring a model to their behavior that's made a difference? I'm a big advocate of leadership modeling. I think leadership modeling is definitional in any team. And the way that you set the tone of a meeting, and when I say leader, I mean anyone who's taking up the space to convene um, or to gather, a community leader, a team leader, you, you set the standards in what you say, what you do, what you reward, and what you model. So if you want people to be honest, you need to model honesty. If you want people to be creative, you need to model creativity. And when you see creativity in in the group, you need to point it out and honor it. So there is just a lot of, I'm a strong believer in in facilitation. And I, I think that it's very, very powerful. Leaders often forget how much power they have. Conveners often forget how much power they have. Um, in creating the kind of systems that then define the organizational culture. But that DNA works its way into the group. And even when that leader steps away, that DNA stays there. And those behaviors are kind of perpetuated by the group. You just reminded me of a conversation I was in last week. I had a wonderful opportunity. There's a TV program in Australia called You Can't Ask That. And the way the program works, it's in its fifth season. They're setting up for their sixth season. They have people from marginalised groups of Australians and they have questions posed to them 
on camera, and this is a, a from the heart program. This is not a mock program. So they've, groups come in, they'll sit in pairs. The pair have never met each other before. They face the camera, they reach down, and they turn a card over, and it's the first time they've seen the question. And it's the question that people think about but never ask uh, people who are alcoholics, have autism, have whatever it might be in these, these pockets of society. And it is the most beautiful program. And I had the opportunity to speak and to co-host a webinar with a, a gentleman who's the producer and the interviewer on the program. And I said, when you have the people come in and they sit there, they can only behave the way you want them to behave if they bring 100% honesty, which means that if you and your team don't have a culture of honesty, it can never work or it can only work the first time. It'll never work again. And I asked him about that. and and. And he spoke to that the point you're making about you need to come together with just that, that common belief goal. It can't be coached in, and it's the team actually gravitate and stay as a team because of that common belief and that common mission. But it still it starts with one person, and it needs one person to take that step. And that was one point you made. I was watching a, a, a video of you, and you made that point very strongly as well about the we all need to be the change. Yeah, one person or two or three, right? It, it's not, you know, I do think we as a as a culture have sort of an obsession with the single leader um, and the iconic figure. And my only, you know, counterpoint to that, um, and I'm sure you agree, is that I've seen incredible partnerships leading. I've seen incredible kind of triads and and leaders that set the tone together in their behavior with each other and model with each other incredible collaboration and partnership. So I just, that's just my add to that. And I would say that the thing about purpose, we talk a lot about purpose in the practice that we have at Co-Collective because we have been for years helping organizations define their purpose. We call it a quest. Um, so it's a little bit uh, a different name, but, and in all of our work, we have found over and over again how powerful it is in community building, in company building, to have a shared purpose, a shared set of values, and, and clarity about what it means to be a member of the organization. And that was the, a, a huge part of the impetus for building a practice in organization and culture design was to think about translating the power of purpose into the organization to ensure that there isn't a gap between what leaders say is important and what they do and how the organization behaves. How do you mentally then prepare to break through at, at points where you know the change needs to be driven, but the resistance is there? How do you prepare emotionally and intellectually for that quest? So it depends. What kind of change are we talking about? Are we talking about individual change or are we talking about um, organizational change that I'm leading or are we talking about organizational change that I lead, that I support others in leading? So my question came from a point of view of driving organizational change. One thing I've learned in working through a lot of different organizational transformation efforts is it is never easy. And even leaders on the journey who are driving change will experience a kind of emotional roller coaster. I tried, I thought I said that, or, you know, I, I feel like all the efforts that I'm making are going unnoticed. And, and then on the organizational side, People saying, I don't understand like why my voice isn't being heard in this, or there's a lot of complexity in change. And, and so I always, I always counsel patients. I always say like, stay the course, speak the truth, <laughs> share what you need to share 
and carry on. And don't forget to repeat that we have this as humans. It's very funny. We do it in our relationships. We do it in organizations. We think because we've said something once that it is said and done. (laughs) When the truth is that there's incredible power in repetition. And the things that people remember are the things that you say over and over and over again until they become symbols and rituals. So if you're trying to drive change, then the best thing you can do is say what that change is every single day. That's the main thing that will make a difference. We've uh, we've covered a, quite a fair bit of ground over the last 25 minutes or so, and I doubt if we had a set up for a, a summary, it could have been as as pertinent and as etched in the most positive way, and I mean that. And uh, I, I truly appreciate you taking the time to join me today and to really start for me on my podcast this truly important conversation and it would be fantastic to stay in touch and to revisit in the future and to give me the opportunity to learn some more and to understand about your progress so thank you so much for joining me today thank you for having me tony it was a a real pleasure what a pleasure it was to have kit krugman join me at the startups roundtable to share her important messages and the challenges that give us the opportunity to personalise a response. But that's it for today. Feel free to provide feedback or suggest a future guest. Thanks for listening and bye for now.